Welcome to the Racially Responsible Podcast, where we dig deep to talk about how we as white people can build our capacity to speak up and show up for racial equity and justice. If you are ready to learn about how you can be actively anti-racist and work to dismantle structural racism and white supremacy, while at the same time navigating the emotions that come along with it, then you are in the right place. I'm your host, Rory Geller Muhammad, a white woman, a mom of two young kids, part of a multiracial family, a professional therapist, and a coach. But most importantly, I'm committed to being part of creating a safe, loving, and inclusive world that is equitable and just. If this podcast resonates with you, I hope you will join us in our Facebook group, the Racially Responsible Podcast Community. Now to being racially responsible, let's get this episode started. Today, we're lucky to have not just one, but two guests join us for today's episode. I'm excited to welcome Dr. Alana Tappan, who is a licensed clinical psychologist and the owner operator of a private psychology clinic that specializes in psychological support for marginalized and racialized people. And Robin Schlanger, who is a licensed clinical social worker, anti-racist consultant, coach, organizer, and trainer. They'll be talking us today about their work and an awesome course that they offer, Shame Resilient Skills for White People, a Pathway to Authentic Conversations with BIPOC. Black, Indigenous, people of color. So welcome to the show. I'm so happy to have you both here. Thank you. Thanks for having us. So before we get into the conversation, um, since people can't see you, I always like to give give our guests an opportunity to just identify socially, share any background information that um, could be helpful to the conversation that we're going to have. Alana, do you want to start? Sure. So my name is Alana Tappan. I am a, I work as a psychologist in Toronto in private practice. Um, I also do anti-racism consulting, organizing, training, depends on who wants the services. Um, Everything. (laughs) um, And so uh, doing a lot of work in, in, not just in those areas separately, but really in merging them. Um, That's been a lifelong, kind of pursuit of mine, not even realizing that that's something I've I've always wanted, even when I was very young. Um, Really deep curiosity and understanding of what's going on in the individual um, and and how they're they're treated outside affects their individual um, life. And so that's what I'm blessed to do now. I'm super excited about the work, especially more recently. Um, And that's, I spend a lot of time doing that work, um, trying to balance my clinical practice and anti-racism training and consulting. Um, yeah. That's awesome, awesome. Um, if you're open to sharing, just since people can't see us to identify um, racially, ethnically, whatever background information you're um, able to share. So I am a black woman, cisgender woman, um, and an immigrant, I'm a Canadian resident, and uh, with Jamaican background, so I, I was born and raised in Jamaica when I uh, left when I was about 23. To, I moved to New York, I lived there for a while, and then I moved to Toronto. Um, so I've been in Toronto for about a decade and was in New York for about five years. Awesome. Thank you. So glad to have you here. Robin? Sure. Um, thanks, Rory. So um, I um, use she, her pronouns, and I um, am a white cisgender woman. 
I also sometimes like to identify as being a recovering social worker. And when I say that, it's no disrespect to other social workers. Uh, it's really just thinking about the white supremacy culture and training that that the social work field is embedded in. Um, yeah. So I really, um, that's very important to me to think about the way that I do my work and to do unlearn some of the things that I've most of the things that I have learned. And uh, I still, as I said, I, I still, I see a few clients uh, therapeutically. Most of my work now is really based in anti-racist work. So even my therapy clients, coaching clients really has that focus. I also work a lot with white identified folks who are looking at trying to understand the way that our whiteness um, you know, how we're impacted by racism right. and how we perpetuate it and ways to change it. And uh, one of the pieces that I really like with the work is, again, I do a lot of facilitation as well and um, uh, really working with Alana on the ways that white shame on top of the shame that we already carry in our bodies impacts white people in how we show up for racial justice. and. Once Alana started to talk to me about what she wanted to do, um, I was like, yes, yes, yes. Can I do this with you? So I really feel like that's where I'm supposed to be right now. And the work is, it's not even work anymore. It's its life. Yeah, no, that, that's awesome. Um, and one of the things that I would love, I know before we even get into like the course and all of that, that I would love to hear from you guys that I know um, people might be curious about is how did the two of you connect to begin to work together? So we met, um, I keep, I don't know, every time somebody asks me how long ago it is, I'm like, I don't know, I don't know the time. Um, we, I, I think it's three years ago. We met at a conference. Um, I was there to see um, Dr. Ken Hardy, who is a black awesome. psychologist, um, who I am still obsessed with in terms of just his work is profound yeah. um, and life affirming. And so just really wanted to see him. I basically signed up for that conference just to see him, um, but he wasn't there. Um, and Robin was also there. And um, I think we had started talking um, and I had felt kind of like, oh, this person kind of, there's, she gets it, you know? Cause you talk to some people and especially when you talk to white people, like you can tell right away, especially if you do this work yourself and yeah. even based on lived experience really, um, you can tell which ones are like going a little bit deeper in their thinking and in their um, evaluation and consciousness. And I was like, oh, yep, she's definitely going a little bit deeper. So um, because of my own ADHD brain, I did not do the things I would have wanted to do, which is like get a number, get a contact. Um, and so spent, after I left the conference, spent a lot of time going, ah, I don't remember her contact information. And so thank God, which is uh, very characteristic of the relationship still. Um, she remembered, <laughs> I gave her my stuff and she remembered it. So I was so, so grateful. And then we, we went to another conference not too long after that, right? Like what, three months, two months right after we reconnected. Because I had told you about, yeah, Dr. Hardy's other, his other work. So I was like, all right, you missed him. Now you get to see him. Yeah, not only did I, I get to see a whole conference with him. So that was fantastic. And so that's how we connected and we've been connected ever since. That's so awesome. 
Yeah. Really cool. And I'll, I'll, I'll link also um, to Dr. Ken Hardy so people have that information um, Please. in the notes, definitely. Yeah, and the conference that he does, if you want to link to, is the Soul Work Conference. Uh, and he's been doing them, I think, about three or four years. Uh, COVID, we had to, he canceled this last uh, spring. But um, I'm hoping that he will do another one that they will do. It's um, the Eichenberg Foundation for um, Foundation. Oh, he's going to kill me. The Eichenberg Institute for Racial Justice. <laughs> right. And he did have um, a few, uh, I, don't, I only went to two, but he did have some quarantined conversations, which were the same yeah, kind of flavor of presentations and, and discussions that you would have at the. So they're, they're, I think those are also available for purchase. I'm not sure if that's true or not. I think, I'm not sure. But um, yeah, so that was also something that he was able to do this year that were really powerful. powerful. Yeah. yeah, he's definitely, yeah, he's an awesome speaker. Yeah, I heard him a few years ago, yeah, mm -hmm. as well. So now let's talk about your course. Um, how did, tell us, you know, tell us how, everything about it. What, how did you come about it? How did you guys create it? What do you, how do you work on it? What does it look like? Wherever you Certainly want to think Alana <laughs> should start, but I just was to say the gift of being there while it was percolating. Like I got to be present during the percolation of it. So um, it was pretty cool. Um, so, you know, we end up, so, you know, Robin and I get in touch. I'm like, yes, I'm so grateful. And then the first thing, one of the first things she does is she tells me about this conference and I don't even know if we finished the conversation and I booked whatever I needed to book um, to, to be there. And so I was um, in Toronto at the time. So I was like, oh, I'm coming back to the States um, to, to be at this conference. And I remember everybody saying, weren't you just at a conference? I'm like, yep, going back to another one. You know? <laughs> um, and so at the conference, um, yeah, just listening, you know, enjoying it, allowing it to challenge me in many different ways. And there was a conversation that was happening. Where we're talking about ancestry. Um, and I noticed that Black people, people of color in the room, when, when asked about their ancestors, there was easy access, easier access. Um, a lot of us were able to identify, you know, people in our past, in our recent past, in our distant past who just were inspiring, doing fantastic work, just really easy to connect. And then when that question was asked of people, white people in the room, it was a much more painful observation. Uh, people were having a hard time. Some people were kind of openly kind of self-hating saying like, well, my ancestors were probably um, enslavers and so there's nothing good, I can't find any good. And, and there's something about that, that um, you know, nowadays I, I would I would question it and, and wonder if it's some kind of protectionism of white people, you know, and I'm mm -hmm. sure that there's part of that there too, for sure. But there, but I, I, I think another part of it was also if any human being doesn't have a good, um, like a, a reference point of some kind of goodness somewhere, some kind of values, some some aspect of their humanity somewhere that doesn't bode well in terms of change and actually changing behavior. Um, so we think that we, that people are shamed into new behavior um, and yeah, we can be forced into, into different behavior for sure. Or we can be, you know, there is definitely shame based behavior um, that, in look, that can look like change, but I didn't want that. I wanted transformational change. I wanted like um, real change. And so I, I realized that even for my therapeutic work that 
those principles that I had learned that I had come to be fond of, even though, as Robin said before, I'm also challenging because I'm like, I don't know what I was taught. I'm really, you know, some of the stuff I was taught was really messed up. But some of the things that I still hold on to and find valuable about what change looks like involves connection. So con connection and compassion are kind of like the foundation of accountable change. And so I'm like, ooh, that seems to be missing here um, in terms of how white people are even processing this question or how we're even kind of um, asking them to do this work. So there was like a, a detachment from their own humanity, which is what whiteness does, right? Um, and so I got like stirred up and started talking to Robin about it because I was like, I need, I need to talk to some, I need to get it out. I had also been strongly influenced at the time, although it's a much more complicated experience now or complex experience now with Brene Brown's work around shame resilience. And I'm like, right. So, you know, when we're in a state of shame, it's overwhelming, it takes over, it's very bodily based, it's a huge, big experience. And then we just become, it becomes about us and protecting ourselves in that moment. And so, you know, if, if we're talking, if what people are talking about racism or whatever, or something that triggers their shame around whiteness, and they actually can't be responsible, they can't be accountable, because then now they're just busy protecting their shame and the bad feelings. And so I'm like, oh, we need a different way. We need a different way to get people connected to this work, get white people connected to this work so that they can take more responsibility in this work. Because the truth is, is that the majority of the fantastic anti-racism work that has been that, that is like available now, that has been done over like decades, even before that, centuries, has been done primarily by people of color. And so, but it's also not. We didn't, we are not the ones that benefit from the system. So it's actually not our responsibility. It's just that because we're human beings and human beings don't like being oppressed, um, we have had to take the reins, so to speak. And so I wanted to also shift that dynamic of like, no, this is not, this is not our system to change. This is your system. This is about your brokenness, your inability to come to terms with your with with how you've internalized this power that's causing, that's maintaining the system. And so the, the overarching goal is to challenge systemic racism. And then we're kind of going, we're starting at the individual level to increase their tolerance and the community level to increase their tolerance for the discomfort so that they can take more and more responsibility in their everyday life from family to community, the institutions they work in. Um, yeah. And so this was what Robin and I had started discussing, basically, like, how do we help white people deal with their shame in a way that's just much more effective? Yeah. And I think, you know, just as an example of like how the work shows up, Rory. So for me, you know, I was, like I said, I was first like, oh, my God, what can I do to support this to like any, any, any areas that I have access to privilege resources, like, you know, this is speaking to me. And um, so I was able to kind of, I mean, that that's part of my personality, right? Like it's part of the white, it's the blessing and the curse of some of the, um, you know, internalized racial superiority, which, you know, we, we kind of, as you talk about like separating it, 
it's hard to, you can't separate what's part of my personality versus what's IRS because it's so inter, like people can't see my hands, I forget, <laughs> but it's so intertwined, you know? Um, but I was like, I got this. And I mean, I just like went like full steam, um, promoted it, got it going. Alana came out here and like we did our first workshop Mm -hmm. which was one day and um, it has just like Alana said it's been about three years and the workshop gets deeper we add and we change some things as we both learn um, and now we do you know we've done a, a two-day back-to-back um, training both live and virtually we also have started this is our we're in the middle of our second nine-week course so it's two hours um, nine weeks in a row and then we've done some work for another organization. We did like four Fridays in a row for four hours. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we work with people where that is at, but, you know, so for me, what I feel like I brought as well as that piece to it, I have, I'm very much interested in embodied work. And when you're talking about shame resilience, you know, I think even about Besser Vandal Koch's work and his book, um, the body keeps the score. Mm -hmm. And so Alana and I, and you know, we use so many, I mean, Bessel van der Kirk, Resma Menneken, um, recently Isabel Werkelsen, like we're bringing all this work plus what Alana mentioned. And so for me, I've done, I've studied psychodrama, which is a really kind of embodied form of work. I've studied drama therapy. And I really wanted to bring some of that to our work and just kind of say, let's do this experientially. Let's not just talk about it but let's get people like in it, really in it. Um, and so that's part of the work. I mean, Alana's- It's a huge part of the work. Yeah. It's not, so what What I found happening, um, I'm so sorry, Robin, I think I'm- No, no, go ahead. by what you're saying. Go, go. So <laughs> you um, what I'm realizing now actually is that this work wouldn't happen. It wouldn't have been what it was if there wasn't this strong experiential bodily based, um, and this component is a weird word. This component looks like it's like a part over there, but integrated maybe, intertwined in the work. If that wasn't there, it wouldn't, I don't think it would be. Because, okay, fine, yes, I do a lot of intellectual heavy lifting, so to speak, but partly because I'm kind of like, mm, mine. And, um, <laughs> yeah that's yeah that's that's a complicated thing that needs ongoing work as you can tell but that's only the tip of the iceberg right because it doesn't matter because we have beautiful intellectual information about racism like we have sophisticated analyses we have the like we have the, the, the material that we have access to in 2021 about anti-racist work yeah. is extraordinary we're still in the mire of, of systemic racism. So yeah. intellectual work is, is like a very small part. I mean, you need it, you need the content, but it's a very small part of this. And I think even I have um, not valued that the way that it deserves, that this is the reason why it works is this combination. It's so interesting though, like how we've learned to work together. Um, Alana starts to bring some pieces in. And then after our last piece, I'm like, Alana, we're talking too much. We're like spending too much time processing. And, and she was laughing at me. She goes, wait, what happened? You were the <laughs> one saying we needed to, you know? And so like, we we're growing into it. It's right. really beautiful, like how it gels. And, you know, and I wanna like, Alana made that note, but we're working on our own stuff through this as well. You know, right. this, is, um, this is really an opportunity 
for our own growth. Like this work with right. Alana and I isn't just about this, you know, it's our work, which is like, if we're not working on our relationship and being authentic with each other right. about mm -hmm. what's showing up for us, because of course stuff, racial stuff is showing up for us. It can't not, mm -hmm. you know, and it's not always easy to talk about, but part of, you know, what we do is, is do that for our, you know, that's what we're doing. And that's what we bring to the work. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, to, you can't sum up like a two hour, two day workshop, but like Alana was saying, like, we certainly start with like history and we've brought in Canada as well, because Alana's Canadian. And yeah. as Alana has said, it's her, it's not so different. <laughs> you know, right. Alana talks about like that. Like I think so. it is different, but yeah. we're just better at denying it than y'all are. <laughs> So we do our history, you know, we do a little history. We talk about internalized racial oppression, talk about white fragility. Like mm -hmm. we definitely scaffold the work because we really want to have a foundation. And then we get into like, what is shame? And we talk about empathy and we really, um, the part that's great that Alana brings in the both, like then we really start to talk about, if you think about what shame does that Alana mentioned earlier. So if I'm in shame, and I'm having a shame response, my body goes into, and we talk about all of these things like defensive mechanisms, right? And those defensive mechanisms were created to protect me, but I don't really need protection in some of right. these places. And so when I'm in that protective mode and I'm using any of those defense mechanisms, I can't, I can't be present. As, and as we say in the flyer, I can't show up for not even social justice. I can't even right. show up for myself or for a person that I'm trying to have a conversation with. Mm -hmm. And so we really work hard on getting people to understand like their identities that they, right. that bring them shame, the triggers that bring them shame. We certainly tie them into their family of origin because of course those are going to be there. And as Alana and I always say like, so now you have your own shame. Like for me, there's this shame thing of like, I'm not good enough. Right. And then just add like something that makes me feel like I'm not a good enough white person or I'm not right. a good enough. That's like a freaking explosion right. <laughs> and that's exploding everywhere. Mm -hmm. um, so mm -hmm. like that, when we say digging into that, digging into that stuff and you know, the more we do this, the deeper we go. And we had just talked about like, you know, bringing people, the transformation happens in the metabolizing of it. Um, and Alana can speak more on like the metabolizing of it and what's the difference between like toxic shame and shame that we can kind of work through and be able to sit in and manifest and do something with. And it's so it's the transformation of of these of the shame into something useful, into something healing. Because I always say this, Alana said this a couple trainings ago, and it really just sits with me because she said, you know, if you as a white person have not kind of, I don't want to say healed because we're healing, right? but right. are not looking at and conscious of and working through your shame and you're not grounded in who you are and you're not safe for me. And that was like, a, like for me, you know, it's like, holy shit, you know? Right. Um, so it's pretty profound and has stayed that way. I think the thing that um, I, that we, as we both want to, um, emphasize and something that I I mistakenly didn't emphasize as much as I needed to because mm. again you know Robin talks about she's trained as a social worker uh, and like she's a recovery like I'm a psychologist so that it, it's worse it's worse in terms of a Eurocentric um, 
dispute, but it's worse also because at least in social work, there is some attempt at, at, at bringing in a systems analysis. Right. Yeah. There ain't no systems analysis. There's none. There is no, I, I got a sociology course in my, in my, in my bachelor's. That's, that's all I got. A lot of, well, you know, and there was other, these other multicultural courses, of course, but that I didn't, I don't consider that a part of my training. Right, right. Um, they were not helpful to me. Um, definitely not. And so the, the, the huge part of um, transforming white shame into something useful or, because or, shame is not, shame in itself is not a bad thing but it's the messages that got kind of encoded, the messages that says you're something wrong with you deeply. Those are the messages that are most destructive, but the, the messages that says, I don't wanna be a part of that bad thing, or I don't want this bad thing. That's a great message. Right. That's a, and so we're trying to get to the place where those messages are the one that's brought forth, but that can't happen outside of community. It cannot happen outside of connection. And so even though there is kind of like, there is some work around how to kind of self-regulate. The truth is, if I can be really honest with you, yeah, is that you can't really do self-regulation work until you've had really good co-regulation work. In other words, between you and other people. Right. If you, you've had, you have to have enough experiences of another human being getting it, getting you and you being able to calm down in their presence and to, to kind of um, process what you're going through in their presence re repetitively. Mm -hmm. like that, is a, that is a gigantic part of resilience. And I think even my neglect of stressing that in the beginning days is that individualistic um, framework of white supremacy, right? Like, Oh, you're gonna do some self-regulation techniques. To, no, you you can't. Like you 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 can, but only after you have been in community and you've been in connection, and then you've internalized the way you've been treated, because that's how it works. And so, um, yeah, that's that's a huge part of shame resilience, doing this work yeah. in community. And the community, like we. If you want to talk about, I was just reading some of you know the notes that you had said, like what do you often ask people in the yeah. interview? And it's like, what do you, you know, what advice to people is do not think you can or should do this alone. Doing this alone is divisive. Yeah. It is not helpful. It's actually the opposite of helpful. Mm -hmm. And what we have found in our groups um, when we were doing the two-day, people were really in it together for two full days. When we broke it up, we were thinking about how to keep people in it. Yeah. And um, honestly, I had borrowed from uh, a friend and mentor of mine, Shawnee Benton Gibson, um, from this work that she does. And she calls the work in between sessions, life work, okay. which I just really love because it's, it's, that's what it is. Yeah. And so Alana and I were kind of, okay, we're going to have in between sessions, like life work and assignments. And then we created what we call accountability groups. So that in between sessions, people are doing some work and then they're talking in smaller groups together. Right. Um, and like, that is so important. And we joke all the time, we don't joke, but every group that we've done, I always say to Alana, I fall in love with everybody. Like you start <laughs> to do this work, it's intense. I mean, it's intense, it's intimate. Yeah. Um, and people share so much and then people yeah. wanna do more. I mean, we have one group of two people that we've, two groups that we've combined that we've been doing this work for over a year with them monthly. We keep doing this work two years. because two years, uh, they have yeah. just like, we don't want to stop. Right. Um, and, and we're going to have to figure out, you know, how, how we 
we do that because, you know, I think, I mean, Alana will speak for Alana. For me, this is really powerful. It definitely takes a, an emotional toll on me, but it's not the one that it takes on Alana. Um, right. There's a lot of growth that happens to me each time. Part of my transforming my shame is sharing my stories. Yeah. So that when I share my shame and I tell and I name things, that's how I'm using it, you know? So there's a different way that I use this work. And sometimes, you know, it's being very vulnerable. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so for me, it brings, the work continues to deepen my own analysis of it. And I can see it and I bring it everywhere now. And everything I'm always trying to say to people, well, look what's under, you know, it's, it's so, it's not just words, it's in me. And okay. um, I think that's what we're looking for, right? Yes. Like if I can give that to another person or another white person, it's like, it has to be in you. Right. Yeah. I, I love that piece um, that you, I mean, you're both talking about, right? This emotional, because you're saying there's, and Alana, you had mentioned, there's so much, right? Information and research and stuff out there just about anti-racism people can learn, but there's not that much out there. There's so little really about the emotional process, right? Of how do we deal? How do we navigate that emotional process? Like you say, the shame, right? How do we build those skills? How do we build that capacity? What does that look like? And so, you know, doing, hearing this workshop, you know, that you're both doing, that's amazing and such a needed area that is, I seems to really in many ways is lacking, right? That it hasn't been as strong as some of the area, other areas, I think, and isn't as talked about, talked about as much, um, mm -hmm. you know, as you're both saying. I'm curious too, um, your, your opinions on this, because I, you know, I know the work you do is with adults and I know you're doing shame resilience work with them. Um, I'm curious because, you know, when we're the next generation of white people, right? The kids growing up, what are the skills like from your experience and the things, you know, that you're doing there that you would love to see white kids learn, like some of those skills, some of those things. Um, any advice even just, just around that as well for the next generation? Um, I think, so now that I've, do, I've done, I recently um, did the People's Institute for Survival and Beyond training. So the word skills is like a, a trigger word because it's like, oh no, skill, like, but I hear you. I hear what you're saying. Um, actually, you know, one of the things, so I also, I'm a child psychologist, so yes. I also see kids. Um, and so my primary modality seeing kids is actually seeing parents. And so in my parent support work, um, and, and I totally get this, because this would, like this is not like, oh, these parents, it's more like, oh, this is what we all do as humans, right? But parents ask me questions like that all the time, but, very different different things and so of course they would ask about this too and the question is what about yours so what about your anti-racism work so it's like okay what should we teach the kids no what what are you learning what have you learned where is your where's your place because the truth is there's nothing that you can tell your kids um, that they will actually be internalized if you're not acting it out so if you're not in touch with your own internalized racial superiority, there's nothing you can tell your kids to make them be in touch with theirs. Okay. And so it is very much an embodied um, experience. So, you, you know, telling your kids, okay, well, you have to make friends or you have to do, like, are you? And so, and that's hard. And that's my answer, which is just like anything that you want to do to tell your kids in order to help them to have these skills or to, it. that's, you'd have to do it first and so have you dealt with your shame around whiteness 
have you engaged in a critical consciousness about what it actually means? Because we're, we're not only doing this work to help individual white people deal with their shame, we're doing this work to help individual white people deal with their shame in community, mm-hmm. because that is the only thing that will break systemic racism. Because systemic racism is maintained by mostly well-meaning white people who have no friggin' clue about the power that they hold in the system and what they what they and so and so that is embodied relational work and of course there are certain skills and but, but, but my first point of advice is start the work yourself yes yeah. because then what comes is that what emerges from that you will be able to share that with your children um So it's not a very satisfying response. Interesting, Alana, because I think about, I was thinking about, and such an interesting compliment, like what's even underneath that, you know, for human beings, for for like white bodied people, as we, like, what are we not learning, you know? And Mm -hmm. we don't learn how to manage conflict. No wonder we can't handle uncomfortable situations. That's not, we don't learn how to do that. I think about emotional regulation. We don't, Unless, you know, most parents aren't so great at that. We're not learning it in school. And I think the other piece that I really think would be important as we're raising, you know, as, as this next generation is getting older, the piece that's really, I feel that I really connect to is like what white supremacy took from me, you know, is the connection of my body. It's like the mind and the body and like telling me, white supremacy is like the privileging of my intellect over my instinct. And um, I would love for our white children to get reconnected to their bodies and to listen to their inner voices. Um, I think those are a couple other things that I, I just would love to see happen. That's such a great point. And but it also, I love it because it's also helping me stay grounded in like, and how does this play out in that system, right? So why aren't kids from all walks of life learning about emotion? Why aren't kids from all walks of life learning about the interconnection between mind and body and how it's like one integrated system and not a split system? How come? What's hard, I think what's harder for people to realize is that those things aren't valued because those things are seen as feminine. And so when we're talking about an intersectional analysis, when you when you when you mix together white patriarchy, yeah. that is seen as feminine and is devalued generally in society. And so it still comes back to like it, you cannot, it cannot just be an individual, what can I do? It has to be what can you challenge? What can you start to challenge in your own body, in your own self, in your own family? But also so so I think as we both go along in this work, I am beginning to see how married that the individual and the systemic work is. Like you literally cannot do one without the other. And once you leave, you 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 kind of leave one out of the out of the periphery or out of your vision, you're not doing the work. So if I'm teaching you shame resilience skills, but we're not talking about the systemic piece and how does this relate systemically? What are you trying to achieve systemically? I'm not doing anti-racism work. I'm doing something else, maybe but I'm not doing anti-racism work. And, and if I only talk about, yeah, exactly. And yeah, if you want to talk about systems and we don't, and people aren't equipped to actually manage the emotional reality of, of being a part of the system and having to deal with it yourself, then we're also stalling. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's not linear and it's not right. one little piece. And again, it speaks to what Alana said earlier, components of or pieces of, it's all integrated. 
Yeah. So another question I'm, I'm curious about, how do you, or what have you found helpful with the two, you know, when you're working together, just the dynamic between the two of you to talk, you know, to go through some of these topics, to go to, to navigate, you know, pr- facilitating these conversations together, dealing with maybe some of the hard stuff that comes up in like when you are facilitating for other people that may also be, you know, getting involved in some of this work or um, maybe, you know, participating in different groups. What have you, you found that is, or any advice that's been helpful for the two of you as you na- kind of, as you navigate this process? In doing the work together, you mean? In their working together, yes. I mean, I'm going to speak from my white body um, of what has been important, but I, you know, and Alana and I are talking about this now that I'm still not doing enough of, um, and it's been really clear to me that, you know, my authenticity and what I will speak to or name or call out in a white person, I'm still not doing even in my close relationships with people of color. So part of that, and we're negotiating it a little. So for me, it's saying, you know, Alana, you know, or if something doesn't feel right, or I'm feeling like I'm not asking you to fix this or do anything, but I need to share with you how this is feeling for me. And being able to say that with the consequence that Alana might say, yeah, you know what, Robin, I think that's some of your whiteness, right? Mm -hmm. And so I guess for me, the advice that I'm gonna give and that I am still taking for myself is to like push past that because it's about me, you know, and and we are not gonna keep growing and I am not gonna be able to have this relationship and this work isn't gonna grow in the way that it needs to if I am, afraid, you know, and I will mess up. You know, if there's one thing I've learned as a white person, I will cause harm. I will mess up. And I think that is one of the hardest things for me. As I say it, it's still like, it's so the antithesis of who I am as a human being, like I'm going to cause harm and I should just keep going. And so the point being that, no, I don't want to keep doing it, but I can't let that stop me from from growth and from changing. So I think those are the words that I'm still very, cause I'm not sitting here saying I've got it cause I don't, um, but I'm working on it. And um, I would give that, you know, advice for people if you're really gonna connect in a, you know, in a relationships that's cross race, um, you have to be willing to really be in it. Yeah, that's great advice. Great. Um, I think that, um, I, I think where I am actively struggling with, so this is not, oh, this is something I realized and then it's, <laughs> no, um, was the impact of my own internalized racial inferiority and how it was operating in me and how it was operating in the relationship. So there was protectionism going on where it's just like, you know, protectionism of like, oh, I don't, there's some things that I may not want to say because that's not right. So it's not just about Robin, but it's about like, um, I don't have a right to ask certain things. I don't have a right. I don't, I'm not entitled to ask or to say, hey, this is what I want. Um, and, you know, I still have, I didn't realize this at the time, but I have a lot of issues showing vulnerability to white people, like my own vulnerability to, to white folks, even people I'm close to, even like with Robin and like I have another friend. And, because I'm also a helper, right? Like, yeah. and so I'm really good at 
because because I'm I'm talking to you and you're being vulnerable, I'm actually really listening, and you know have all these feelings for you, you know feeling connected to you, feeling you know compassion for you, but I am not showing me, I, or I'm showing the parts of me that are I know will be acceptable to you, yeah. but I'm not showing the parts of me that I have concern about whether or not that would be acceptable, and so it complicated still is complicated so I I find myself that I am much more um detached like even from Robin than I would like Mm -hmm. Um, and even some of my other white friends I I feel like a little bit of a closing off Mm -hmm. as I come to realize my own internalized racial inferiority I'm like ooh, just so I'm actively working through like how do I show up anyway and have a voice anyway um and deal with the shame that comes up with my own shame that comes up with it right yeah um and even my my shame about it like my shame about my shame like my yeah. my shame about the fact that oh I it's 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 enact, it's being enacted you're not being as open and vulnerable as you should be and I'm like ah, yeah like so it's very very complicated um but it's really really important to be a part of some kind of group or connection that helps you actively work through whatever comes up. Because I think what, even though I'm a black woman, I'm also very privileged. What could happen is that and I have a little bit of, and it's conditional, but it's a little bit of power where I could be like, I'll just detach and then not deal, right? So that could be a thing that can happen. Yeah. And it's, and it's easy. It's easy once you have privilege in any social identity is to like, if something starts to feel uncomfortable, I'll just detach, even though I'm not doing it on purpose or, you know, but doubt those are the behaviors that keep systems in place. Right. Thank you so much um, for sharing that. Uh, I think both for both of you, I know I think that's both, you know, advice and just, and that insight, really important insight that, um, that I think for listeners can be really helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I want, so just before we finish, how can listeners connect with you and support your work and take your workshop? What's the best way for people to contact you? And I'll post everything, but if you want. Um, yeah, I mean, for right now, um, I'd say my, I, I know Lana's doing some as well, but from my, my spot here, I have a website, which is um, just Robin Schlanger LCSW. They can go on there and there's posts, there's information about the trainings, um, Facebook, LinkedIn, they can email me. It's um, uh, Robin Schlanger, oh my God, what is my email? Robin.schlanger at gmail.com. And if they would like, I can put them on my mailing list, my listserv, and that's how Alana and I start to post when we have a training coming up. That's the first place it'll it'll come out on the listserv and, you know, Instagram stuff that I'm starting to post and, and that's as far as my stuff. And Alana, I don't know if you wanted to share some of your. Yeah, just my website of my practice is heart of the matter psychology.com. Um, and I'm in the process of doing a separate website for my anti-racism organizing um, and training. Um, yeah, that's it. And then my contact information is there. So. And we forgot, so this is kind of exciting, um, or we forgot to mention, um, we are going to have a chapter in a book that Dr. Ken Hardy edited and put together. 
And wow. it's about, I don't remember that. I know that it was a working title, so I'm not sure, but it's about decentering of whiteness. Um, and so we have a, a very long chapter in there Congratulations. about our work. That's so amazing. So, so that's how exciting. can people, or how would people be able to read that or? I don't, so it's still, it's very much in print. Yeah, it's not okay. Mm-hmm. So they'll be, Deeply they'll contact impressed. you and find out. <laughs> yeah. So as soon as it comes out or it looks like, I'm just actually really. It'll really be all deep. over. When it comes out, we will be letting people yeah. know. So you, won't, awesome. you won't be subtle. Yeah. Awesome. And I mean, we might also, there's all, again, I think the best way to do it is just to um, the listserv, uh, yeah. certainly my website, because we also put in an RFP to do a short presentation at the White Privilege Conference. Waiting, we don't know yet what's going on with that. Right. So, you know, different opportunities. And like we said, we're kind of we're kind of stepped back a little bit to look at where we've gone and decide what we want to do next. We're going to continue the work. It's just how do we do this in a way that's um, I think that Alana and I are learning yes. that fits for both of us. That we each are getting what we need and want out of it. Yes, absolutely. And that's one more thing I would act, I would recommend too, is to getting support for partnerships or for, so support for the organization or support for your partnership as you're doing this work to help you look at the dynamics of the partnership and the organization so that, you know, one of the things with like a power sharing de-hierarchical um, perspective is that we're not used to doing it. We don't, we don't really know. Right. Um, a lot of us come from traditions that do it naturally, but white supremacy has really cut off a lot of us, even the ones that have that tradition, mm-hmm. from the wisdom of that tradition. And so power sharing is still kind of a, you know, mm-hmm. new to us. And so we need support for that. Like how, how do we take care of the collective and the individuals and the collective at the same time, um, instead of kind of the, the idea of either take care of the individuals or the collective, which is, that's a, that's a white supremacist idea. Right. Uh, that, that's how they define power sharing, but that's not what power sharing actually is. This conversation has been so amazing. I mean, I could talk to you guys for hours. <laughs> so amazing. You both are amazing and doing wonderful, wonderful work. Thank you so, so much for joining us today. Thanks Thank you. Before we go, I have a question for you. Are you ready to have more transformative conversations around anti-racism with white people in your life? If so, I invite you to join me for a free webinar that I'm hosting, How to Shift Your Anti-Racism Conversations with White People from Frustrating to Change-Making. During the webinar, we're going to be talking about strategies and steps that you can take to feel more prepared and confident when talking about race and racism, communication strategies that will help you, that you can use immediately, and how to shift the conversation so you're feeling optimistic and hopeful instead of frustrated and defeated. So if you're ready to take that step to really shift the conversation from frustrating to change-making, I hope you'll join me. You can register. The link is in the description. Hope to see you there. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Don't forget to subscribe and join us in our Facebook group, the Racially Responsible Podcast Community. To being a community and taking anti-racist action together. Thanks for joining me and until next time.